I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mike, good to see you resplendent in a fiery red Wesleyan t-shirt, which is perfect. It is apt for a hot take Monday. I'm ready, right, I'm Mike, ready, are you ready? Because the fourth week of the exhibition season is always my favorite week. Ah, this preseason stuff's overrated. Hey, the 49ers are winning the Super Bowl, right? Or or the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. Or uh, well, well, hang on, no, Miami winning the Super Bowl. Just cancel the rest of the season. And then last week of January, the 49ers and the Cowboys play a playoff game. And then the winner plays Miami and everybody's happy. <laughs> I love the sound of that. It's interesting, though. We joke, but when we were catching up with our season preview... We, we got into the depth, the obvious depth in the AFC, but maybe the, the strongest team, certainly the deepest rosters, individually speaking, are in the NFC. We talked about the 49ers. We talked about the Eagles. The Cowboys, we touched on a little bit, but all three of them obviously had a, a strong start, particularly the 49ers and the Cowboys, and particularly their defenses really yeah, stepped and, up to Yeah, and you know, I think both the Giants and the Steelers were overvalued somewhat by preseason. Um, looked looked very good. And I mean, it, in one sense, the Giants went out and did what the Patriots did, had a horrible first 10 minutes of the game, fell behind 16 nothing. And unlike the Patriots, who then kind of clawed their way back into the game and were in a position where they, they could have won it. This is kind of like the story of Bill Belichick's last three post-Brady years. Um, the Giants just got worse and worse and, and more, more and more problems uh, ensued in Dallas's pass rush. What was obviously too much for them, and O line was still the Giants' problem. But I think we overrated them. I think we overrated Pittsburgh. People, we we meaning the herd, um, overrated Pittsburgh because mm. they looked so good in the preseason games. But you have to consider who they were facing, and San Francisco did a, a great job defensively, and more importantly, even with T.J. Watt throwing in three sacks and a losing cause, you know. The the, the the Niners weren't particularly bothered by the Steelers' defense. They they were prepared for it. Um, Brock Purdy looked like he hadn't missed a beat, you know, and if you take away the playoff game that he missed, he's still unbeaten in, in regular yeah. season games. And my favorite play of the weekend thus far um, <laughs> occurred in that game and, and uh, Christian McCaffrey's 65-yard touchdown run because – you know, the way that Brandon mm-hmm. Ayuk, who'd already caught two touchdown passes, managed to position himself to, you know, to flatten the defender um, for him. And then Ray Ray came around and it looked like he was going to it looked like he was going to execute a textbook block in the back. But he literally stuck his hand out as if to stop himself. And the defender spun, and that put him in a position to knock him out of the way. So, you know, I just love the downfield blocking on that play, which made it, you know, and not taking away anything from McCaffrey because he had a great hole. He had to spin to break a tackle. And usually on those big runs, that's the that's the three com- the combination, one, two, three. One, you get a good hole. Two, you break a tackle. 
And then once you're out at the second or third level, you get some help from your receivers. And they got all of that. It was, it was, there were a lot of great plays. Your friends that arrive was and they take, they take care of business. Yeah, I love that. It was, uh, it was highlight real stuff. <clears throat> Let's talk a bit about Purdy because two questions uh, surrounding him coming into the season, obviously recovery from injury and whether there'd be any rust there and uh, any issues as a result of, of the injury he suffered. But also this is still a relatively unknown quantity, right? He looked composed. He looked okay for the uh, the cup of coffee that we saw him. But I don't think anybody would have necessarily gone into this season saying, sure thing. Something occurred to me because we did this game on the radio last night uh, on TalkSport. And when you're looking at this roster that has been assembled, particularly the offensive talent around Purdy, going into this offseason, it was Garoppolo, it was Trey Lance, it was Purdy, and they, they've gone with Purdy. Is he that much of an upgrade on the Garoppolo we saw taking them to the Super Bowl um, four or five years ago? On, on present evidence, you'd probably say yes, because even abs, absent the elbow injury, which was kind of a freak, you you would think he's going to be more durable than Jimmy G. And he seems to be a leader and he's a lot more affordable, which I think was part of the, he's making just over half of what, Sh- what Shadur Sanders is in getting terms of to talent, play in, in Colorado. It's a good point, but take the, take the money and take the, uh, take the durability out of, out of it. Just in terms of capability, on-field capability, I think, a li- is it a like for like move? Are well, they very similar? The thing that impressed me the most on uh, yesterday was that he was throwing drop back from the pocket. And Garoppolo was better on the rollouts and stuff than he was standing straight in the pocket. And that may be the the thing that really impressed the Niners about him. But he made a couple of really good throws from the pocket, got enough protection to do it, but stood in um, pretty well. So I think that's probably why they liked him. And, you know, they, they were trying to get rid of Jimmy G before Brock Purdy was the alternative. You know, they they wanted they thought Trey Lance was going to be the alternative. Yeah, and they, sure. they were going to move him. And, you know, luckily for them last Last year they didn't, and they got Jimmy G for a few games before Purdy Purdy came in. Um, and watching watching what uh, I guess that's kind of my point though. Trey Lance, very different kind of player. Brock we Purdy, talked Garoppolo, about this, Mark too, but, you, but you've outlined those super clear. We like, talked about this the, a couple of weeks ago. Um, this the sense that it wasn't necess- it wasn't Shanahan. Shanahan was in love with Mac Jones, and. If you want to look at Mac Jones and Brock Purdy, there's a better comparison. Um, you know, the, the the distance is not as far as, as you might think. They traded up originally to get Mac Jones. And then I think John Lynch and other people in the front office fell in love with Trey Lance and persuaded Shanahan to go along with this. I have this kind of nagging suspicion that Shanahan yeah. never really wanted to be on the Brock Lance bandwagon, the, the Trey Lance uh, bandwagon, and that's kind of why they they gave up on him. Um, and injuries were a factor there too. But but I, I think what you saw was exactly what he wants, which is someone who's smart in running in running the offense. Well, he's a lot more a lot more like Matt Schaub. Say he's got a better arm, I think, than Matt Schaub, but a lot more like Matt Schaub than he is like Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit more like Matt Ryan, although he doesn't have Ryan's drop back arm um so you know i think i think they've got to be happy where they stand now the question will be what happens if if sam darnold has to play uh for them kind of like everybody was saying the question with mm. miami is what happens i think we're, if we're someone has to play for that one. for Tua. yeah 
if Tua, Tua, get, Tua goes down, more, let's get on the Dolphins in a minute because they're really the echoes of the Dolphins I fell in love with, of course, in, in the mid-80s, a real, real thrill thrill ride to watch. But just on the Steelers, because, yeah, they were overhyped. And sure, it was preseason for a lot of people and, and Kenny Pickett in particular. I think people were going overboard on on his preseason performances. But there was a there is a lot of logic in why the Steelers side could be a contender. And they were abject and they were hampered by injury as well. Cam Hayward went out during the game. Deontay Johnson did his hammy. So they they were short stacked as the game went on, but they never they never started. They no. didn't get a first down until towards the, the end of the second quarter. They were completely blown away. Was it a combination of the 49ers D being right on it from the get-go? And, and particularly this, unlike the offense where it was the superstars making big plays, the supporting cast was stepping up for the 49ers was it mainly that they were stifling them? Were the Steelers also misfiring, which is why it was so cataclysmic? The, the key to it primarily was that uh, the Niners were beating them up up, up front, uh, right right from the right from the get go. So they were getting pressure. Uh, Bosa on two days of practice. <laughs> Boy, we need preseason. Um, you know, played okay, but it, but it was really you know Hargrave, the ex Steeler, ex ex. Um, uh, Eagle, um, you know, and the, their guys up front, they're mm. so they're so deep there, even though they keep rattling guys through and they keep signing big name players to big contracts without it appearing to ruin their salary cap. Unlike unlike many teams. So effective. Yeah. But, well, but they're look at that division, the way, yeah, look at the division the way it stands now. Um, Cleve, uh, mm. Cincinnati looked awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but Burrow didn't look ready to ready to come back, basically, yeah. and they um, Cleveland put a lot of pressure on him. Um, Baltimore looked okay, but suffered some big injuries, uh, big worries for the future. J.K. Dobbins is we already know mm-hmm. is out for the season, which is interesting considering his holdout. You know, now he gets paid at least for the season that he's not going to play in, and then we're going to go through the whole thing again next year. Let's go to that. Burrow was 14 of 31 for 82 yards. They had still 142 in total, the Bengals' offense on the day. We've hyped up this Browns' defense in particular because all the attention is on, typically on Deshaun Watson and what could the offense do. The defense might be the, the ticket here as far as the Browns are concerned, and they really stepped up. The offensive line for the Bengals is something they've had issues with, of course, over the last three, four years. They keep investing in it, and yet here we are, here we are again, Mike. So should Burrow been rested? Was it a combination of the Browns just causing mayhem in the trenches? Well, part, Why part were they so that. They, came, they blitzed a lot, and, and you didn't you didn't necessarily expect that. Um, they blitzed early and, and then pulled off it a little, a little bit later as they went along because Burrow is good against the blitz. But I think what they were trying to do was to find out whether Burrow actually was as mobile as he normally is. And the answer to that question was no. He, he visibly appeared to be sort of half limping mm. at, at times. And there were one or two times when you watched, he just didn't have any burst, any acceleration. You know, he, when he was planting a foot, he wasn't going anywhere. So I think that was the big thing that they took advantage of. And obviously the game was over when Miles Garrett got that sack in the second half, 13 yard loss. And, 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 and that was, that was pretty much it. So I, I think they need to, to work on that primarily their offensive line still didn't look very good. Um, and they're going to face good pass rushers in the mm. division and, and elsewhere. So that's, that's a, that's a real problem for them. And, and Cleveland Deshaun Watson played okay, 
before we get to Cleveland, just on just on Cincy, just want to draw a line on what next for them because yeah, we, we joke about the ridiculous overreactions that everybody rolls out uh, the first Monday uh, of the regular season. But already people are piling in saying, "Oh wow, this was a Super Bowl contending team," and they're already d- they've actually got a fairly soft landing before the bye week, right? Relatively speaking. So they've got Baltimore, okay. They've got the Rams, the Titans, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks before that bye. So they've they've got plenty of time to get things right if we're trying to add a little bit of perspective. And and adding perspective, everybody's overhyping or hyping up anyway, the Browns now and saying, well, they're the the ones that can go go deep in this division. Where were you on the preseason? On paper, they've been pretty good for a couple of years. They, you know, especially defensively, they've had the personnel. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I said two weeks ago, maybe presenting the pre Tomlinson inside was a great move because they kept trying to pair Garrett with another rusher to get him with single coverage, but getting inside pressure does the same thing. And it's also helps you in obviously inside. So Tomlinson, I thought was a great pickup for them, but they're deep around the secondary. Um, Delpit had an amazing play where he basically slapped the receiver's arm away. And when the receiver put the arm back, he slapped his hand away. And, and you know, I was going, what great coverage. And I'm thinking, only this is the NFL. We're back. Um, and um, <laughs> the question is, is really how good Watson will be. And you could just say, well, he's still rusty and, and he was getting back in, but he looked a bit better. And it looked like they'd also kind of adjusted their offense a bit to let him do more or to ask him to do more, which is probably a good thing. Uh, by more, I mean with his feet primarily. I think taking the taking the risk on his mobility is probably the right thing to do for the, for the Browns offense. But I, my, my take right at the start, although I thought the Bengals would probably repeat in the division because the primary, the primary thing is the receiving depth, you know, and, you know, Jesse Bates had a great game in Atlanta. Um, so, you know, they, they miss him. Um, but yeah. I just thought there were too many question marks. Other, there were more question marks, not too many. There were more question marks about the other three, three teams and, you know, Pittsburgh's preseason, didn't really erase the question marks. It kind of covered them up, basically. And the Ravens always have always have them, but are always dangerous. I just thought this was a division where you know you could you could, as you said, find four teams that are all nine and eight, and, and then it goes down to tiebreakers. But I just thought the Bengals were the one, as of two weeks ago, who mm. might rise above the other three. The last couple of seasons, they started zero and two last year. Um, but, you know, Bur- Burrow was yeah, the year sure. before, so you know, I, I think they they can rebound from that. They adjust pretty well, and I still have a quite a bit of faith in Lou Anarumo as a defensive coordinator. They get it right. Uh, okay, let's move next in terms of, well, I think a fascinating storyline developing with Green Bay because after Rodgers went, looking at the, the roster collectively, everyone was down on them. Nobody, I think, has really talked them up as as definitely serious contenders going into the season and even a playoff team in, in most... Well, okay, I know your hand is up, Carlson. I know you were saying they might be sneaky good. And we talked about it on the show, of course. This idea that Jordan Love... Because he has sat for so long on the sidelines, we don't know anything about him, really. We don't really know what we're getting. Everyone seemed to lean on the negative there. But actually, there was a strong possibility that it was going to be a complete real deal under the tutelage of one of the all-time greats. I don't think he became great under the tutelage of Aaron Rodgers. I think think he learned a lot, probably. Um, But he sat there and he's... This year, he is playing a different 
kind of football than Aaron Rodgers played. And that was pretty obvious in the way that Green Bay offense functioned. Uh, it's it's LaFleur's offense, not Rodgers' offense. Rodgers would change the plays at the line of scrimmage. Rodgers would call the play LaFleur called and then just do what he wanted anyway. Um, you know, sit there and let the play deteriorate and then then make plays. What you saw were a, a lot of a lot of pretty impressive throws to guys like Romeo Dubs, who, you know, Rodgers didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to throw to necessarily. And but more so the running game. Yeah. They stuck with the running game. You know, um they didn't they didn't go to throwing yeah. the ball all the time to Dylan or or to Jones. And and it paid off. And the amazing thing to me, and I, I think again I said yeah. this a couple of weeks ago, the amazing thing to me is the way Green Bay patched together offensive lines every year. And I used to think, well, okay, it's Rogers, you know, Rogers avoid sacks he gets rid of the ball when he's under pressure so you don't the stats the stats don't show loads of sacks um, where Joe Burrow say they do but it was also that the run game using that as their as their key made Jordan Love more effective you know and Rogers sat and watched Brett Favre but they basically mm. then took over the same system and I think right now what you're getting is he watched Aaron Rodgers and mm. benefited from that because Rodgers of course is does loads of things better than almost anybody. Uh, but he's also learned Lafleur's system and, and he's in a position where he will execute that system. Um, so they'll probably go as far as, as that, right. that takes them. Um, and defensively, they, you know, they look pretty, they. So just on that, that's really interesting. So with, with love, with Jordan love, it, it, where does he sit in terms of you have quarterbacks that are right at the top of their game and game changes and have, an X factor like Mahomes, like Lamar, like Burrow in a different kind of way. Then you've got, the, I guess, the, the top of the second tier, the Dak kind of players, right? Cousins probably a little bit further down and that Garoppolo, Derek Carr. What's Jordan Love's ceiling? To put his ceiling in kind of the same territory in the right situation. He can, he can be very good, could get you you know, to, to a Super Bowl can take, can take a team along. Um, now he might get better. This remember he's in effect a rookie. I mean, he's been around, but these, these are his first real, his first real action yeah, sure. from when he had to play unexpectedly with it. Yeah. Rookie um, plus, and there's a bunch of those guys around this year. Um, but I think, you know, he can grow during the season and, and that's, he's got a lot of talent. You know, he's mobile, his arm's not bad, which is why they took him in the, in the first round. And I also thought the Packers did a nice job on Justin Fields, um, spied him most of the time. Fields had a, and it was the same story. Fields yeah. had a couple of big plays, but they got to him when when they had to go to the air uh, to play catch up, and that's always going to be the problem for the Bear, or not well until Fields or the offense morph a little bit. If they have to play catch up, it, it lessens Fields' impact on the game because they really have to go to the air more, um, uh, but. It, it was it was that was a very good win for Green Bay. It really did send a message, and you know everybody jumped on the Lions bandwagon in Week One, but the Chiefs weren't as bad as yeah. It, it was a it's a question of stars. The Chiefs lost stars and replaced them with Kadarius Tony, and it cost them the game basically. But they'll they'll work around that, you know. There's and and they didn't have Chris Jones, but they that. That hurt. How, that hurt how are they going to work around that? Yeah. They're going to bring go to somebody, somebody else. They're going to bring somebody in, uh, um, or or just you know write it off as an aberration. Although that was Chris, that was Tony's career up till last se last season, um, and you. 
Well, this is it. Are we surprised? I mean, are they think are they banking on Tony's going to have games like that, but he's also going to have games where he's scores yeah, 140 Yeah, I think the way yards, to, right? to cope I mean, with that is to um, not make him your primary target. You know, try to build specific, specific, easier, right. easier plays defensively. With Chris Jones, they probably would have been much, much better, but they they only gave up two touchdowns. Um, to, to the Chiefs, which you normally uh, – sorry, to uh, Detroit, which you normally would live with because Detroit's got a fairly balanced, high-powered offense. And and so, you know, the, the Lions were, in, a, in effect, a bit lucky. You, don't, you can't take anything away from a team that goes into Arrowhead and wins. Um, but, you know, but to say, oh, this is the Lions or a powerhouse who are going to roll through that division now is, I think, a little bit premature. But that's what week one's all about. That's what we love about it. Let's go. Let's look at a bit of rookie watch, Carlson, for uh, a little bit. So I want to go to Jacksonville Indy. Um, before we get your your take on on the Jags, Anthony Richardson, a player that I think we've been very excited about watching in real time in games that really count. Uh, it was a mixed bag for him, wasn't it? We saw flashes of the electric player that he is, but unsurprisingly, some errant. This errant elements of his display as well, but that's I guess part of the course, not only for a rookie quarterback, for the, the kind sure. of quarterback. I mean, you he had is, three right? three rookies, three of the four top picks in the draft, all starting, and and they all made rookie mistakes. They all, you know, um, Stroud, who had looked pretty good in preseason, running running a San Francisco type type offense, which he seems to fit really well, didn't Richardson? His arm is good. I mean, he just needs experience. He's got a live arm. It's pretty accurate, but but it takes him time to get to where to, to the receiver where he's going to throw it, and then to learn placement in terms of leading receivers and things like that. Then the danger of Richardson was evident when they left him in toward the end of the game, where they ran him at the end of the game down by the goal line. I thought there was a concussion possibility there. I was surprised that they didn't. I mean, the, the injury was lower, right. lower body, but, um, you know, he, he got hit pretty hard there. And, and I thought, um, Bryce Young at times looked pretty, pretty calm, you know, pretty collected. Um, but he has nothing around him. I mean, it, it's almost, you know, that, that's your classic first pick overall situation. Um, you know he's gone into he's gone into an offense that doesn't yeah. help him at all. It doesn't give him much much to work with, and that's that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and it was short stacked as well, of course, with the well, feeling was out. I mean, it was um, it was it, that's the mo. That was interesting, wasn't it? Because he looked he looked composed at times early on as well in the game. He looked he put some drives together, and they were they were in it for a while. I think given the fact that everybody figured the Falcons were going to run all over it, and that was, of course, my Drew Lock of the Week. Thank God that came in. <laughs> one, one up on Ollie already. Uh, Carson, you'd be delighted mm-hmm. to hear. Uh, more of that on Edge Rush later on this week on Friday, we're dropping Edge Rush. But yeah, they were certainly um, keeping it tight in, in the first half, uh, Carolina. But based on the, well, as you've outlined, the slim pickings around him it's going to be a a very long season for him out of the rookies cj stroud as you say had a difficult day as well richardson flashes of it bryce young projecting forwards given the situation that the three of them are in who's got the best landing spot do you think this year for them to develop i mean i do think that stroud is a good fit for for houston's offense um and this he's a guy who needs to learn processing the quicker game um playing he never played from a under center at, at ohio state um 
I think Richardson's the one who could explode. You know, his he's got such a weird ceiling floor, you know, because let's say he's Justin Fields too by the end of this season. Is that a floor or a ceiling move? You know what I mean? It's it's like there's there's a lot of, you know, he would have <laughs> sure, benefited good question. maybe from another year of college. I'm not sure if he would have or not because – his college situation was wasn't great for improvement, and and Young is what I you know what he looked to be a very composed quarterback who can make plays a kind of I think better version of Kyler Murray, um, a steadier version of Kyler Murray who uh, I think will learn will learn quickly, uh, and and the question is what Frank Reich's going to do with with that. And I think that's still an unanswered question because um, they. Uh, they're not giving him a lot of support. And I'm, I'm really surprised, for example, that Thielen was the guy they signed. Um, but I mean, not to, I'm not taking anything away from mm. him because I love him, but a 31 year old guy who's basically now going to be a slot possession receiver. Um, I don't think was, was their, their main. With a history of injury issues. Need. Yeah. It's a, it, a curious decision. Let's get on the Atlanta side of it then, because as I say, it was a tight game for the first half, but they they raced away with it. Bijan Robinson was a player that garnered a lot of attention in the draft because the running back stock's going down. Why is a team wasting a top 10 pick on a running back? And of course, the Falcons argument is, well, situation is everything. And uh, not only is he a generational talent they're projecting, but also he fits really well with what we're going to do, particularly as we have Desmond Ritter as our quarterback. We need one of those generational running backs for this offense to work. That seemed to step up, particularly as certain other players. Drake London didn't have a catch, for example. Kyle Pitts just had two. So it was very much the, the Bijan show and, and, and the ground game. The Falcons seem to be a team that will live up to that billing of, yeah, inside rail, playoff side, based on what we saw. Um, Ritter, Ritter looked to me like Marcus Mariota, too. He's a bit more accurate. He, you know, he, he was better within that Yikes. system, but they don't ask him. To, they didn't ask him to do much. Um, and he did. <laughs> so he, he gave them what they asked for. Um, I, I found it interesting that Cordero <laughs> was was not even active for the game. You know, they just went with they just went with uh, yeah, Algiers right. and yeah. um, and Bijan. And you know, we talked about again a couple on the preview show about the way that they've got all these interchangeable guys now, and like they're going to be like the killer bees. They're going to change their helmets, and yeah. no one's going to know which guy is which. You know, it's like um, I thought. I thought <laughs> Carolina did a nice job yeah. of taking Pitts and London out of the game. Um, I thought it was a little too easy. Um, you, mm. you, you know. Pitts in particular, this is your big weapon. You know, he shouldn't be a guy you can remove uh, in the first half, at least, you know, from the game that easily. And Arthur Smith is going to be old school kind of Tennessee Titans without Derrick Henry, but, you know, a little bit a little bit flashier, uh, not, not even flashier, a little bit more flexible with re- receiver-wise. But you think back to the John O. Smith um, days in in Tennessee, and that's that's kind of what you're – you're going to see, I think, from them. Uh, the defense is hard to judge because it was Carolina and, and a rookie quarterback. So, you know, I think the Saints, if you're looking in that division, did enough to, you know, against uh, mm. Tennessee is the most irritating team in the world. If you're a, a fan or or an opposing fan or a coach, because they just find ways to hang in there, you know, and they and they were they got lucky because there's Tennessee 
knocking the ball out of the runner's hands, falling on the ball, and uh, and the runner falls on the ball when he should have lost it, and the Titans were back were back in the game. If they hadn't, uh, they just had that way of hanging in there with you, you know, like like uh, it's not quite rope a dope because they're not Muhammad Ali, but you know, they're like um, they're like some old punch drunk fighter who just sits here kind of fighting back, and 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 they'll get they'll get to you occasionally. Uh, Scott <laughs> Hansen had the line of the night, I thought, when he when he said that. Um, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Simmons, uh, you know, was uh, the, one of the big, the big uh, snack eaters of the game, or <laughs> one of the experts of snack. You know, the best in the league at snacks. <laughs> well, it doesn't look it to me. You know, not not in the league, not in the league with Javon Hargrave. You know? But anyway. Um, Hey, you know what we haven't talked about yet, Carlson? We talked about the Jacksonville game. We didn't talk about that crazy play, uh, the Tank Bigsby crazy play oh, where well, you know, everything stopped yeah, in DeForest Buckner. I'm glad to you get, brought that, that up because, Break that down. you know, the Tank, the tank actually uh, scored on, uh, or, or, um, on, on a mall, you know, where he was stopped. And the referees didn't blow the whistle, and then everybody piled in, and and they they you know, they pushed yes, him, yeah, yeah, they pushed yeah. him, and pushed him, and pushed him. Um, but the, yeah, and he's like five foot eight. Right. <laughs> and but um, yeah, but that play, <laughs> you just question why yeah. they blow the whistles and don't blow the whistles because okay, you the you had the the pass the pass cum fumble, and Tank picks it up, and he's just standing there, so. He's an, he's literally an unprotected player giving himself up. He's just standing there holding the ball. So you blow the whistle to protect, right. if anything, just to protect right. the player. And in fairness, Zaire Franklin didn't hit him. He just yeah. stripped the ball away from him. You know, which was actually the best thing to do because no nobody realized. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the, the oldest thing in football is you play the whistle. I'm not blaming yeah. the players. You know, they deserve it. Although Buckner was actually down about a yard before the. Um, before the end zone is and no one noticed yeah he was um, he was but, you know you play to the whistle so you know fair play to them i just don't understand why they didn't blow the whistle when a guy's just standing there holding the ball <laughs> looking around for who he's supposed to throw it to you know which referee wants it and zaire franklin who had a great game i mean zaire franklin uh pause he had a great red zone game <laughs> he, he was every time Red Zone went to them, he was in the middle of the play, you know. And he's got great, great range, great productivity. I, I love it. Right, but, that's, um, that's the best way to be. Now, Carson, um, hold that thought. Hold the thought because we're going to take a quick break and hear a few messages from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk Miami. We're going to get into the Passion Cavity mailbag as well. So there is still plenty more to come right here on the NC Show. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the NC Show. It is Iron Mike Mondays. We're looking back on the week one Sunday action. We've got to talk about those Dolphins. I said earlier on, Carson, they reminded me, remind me very much of that freewheeling Marino and the Marx Brothers offense. Just a joy to watch. And they're going to be in shootouts galore. Uh, how much can they go beyond that? And unlike the, the majority of the Marino, Shula era, Marx Brothers 
build and have, an, I guess, a strength and underpinning that makes them real contenders? Or are they going to be one of these teams we love to watch, but ultimately they they uh, they fall short? Or do you think they have got enough about them on both sides of the they board were close to, to that, run together? But I think the biggest difference, well, there were two in this game. Uh, and the first one, which is that I don't know if San Diego adjusted defensively enough from the game last year when they won in prime time and they basically shut down, they, they man covered, um, you know, on one side of the field, press man on whoever, whether it was with Waddle or Hill or whatever. And I don't think they adjusted away from that. Whereas obviously Mike McDaniel had come up with ways to overcome that kind of, kind of coverage. Um, but more importantly, I just thought you saw the Vic Fangio effect on Miami I mean, I thought the Chargers looked better than mm. I thought they would. Um, offensive line played very, very well. But you have to read into – you have to adjust for the idea that Fangio was playing back. I mean, he always is in a two deep, but he's usually pretty aggressive up front. They weren't rushing Herbert with more than four ever. Um, and what they were doing was making him throw into tight windows as much as possible, where they were so that you you, you always had six – six or seven back and it was making life kind of difficult for him now what it did was allow the chargers to run the ball pretty effectively and but they had a couple of breakaway runs eckler had a really great one uh but otherwise it kept it, it kept uh, miami close for most of that day then when it mattered at the end of the game last <laughs> fangio sent them so that last series that miami had fangio blitzed and they beat it once, but they they got beat three times. And I, I think that's yeah. one of the big differences. You know, last year they were a very gambling kind of defense. Fangio's not going to do that, um, but he, he's going to he's going to play it. You know, play it the way he thinks mm. the game will play out, and and that worked really well. I mean, I'm saying it worked really well. They still allowed 34 points, but in that kind of game, that was kind of the way you had to go go with the flow and and. Offensively, McDaniel did a great job. I thought they would run the ball more. They didn't. They went with the pass game again, uh, kind of dared the Chargers to stop them with that. And the Chargers did a pretty good job, but it was really just kind of holding them back. You know, it was like it was like holding up a wall against against a tidal wave. Mm. And Hill made some spec. There were some spectacular catches this week, um, and there were. Tua laid in one ball for Hill, which was, you know, for a guy 5'10 or whatever he is, to get between the two guys and catch it. But it was in the in the perfect spot, and he's double covered. And, you know, I just thought with his explosiveness, that's unfair, you know. Um, it really was a, Ty, a Tyreek Hill game. And, and um, immediately somebody, somebody said he's on course for 3,400 yards receiving this season, which is <laughs> – Nothing. Nothing says week week <laughs> one that. better. That two is on course yeah. with six thousand so, yards. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think they <laughs> yeah. look good. Well, hey, let's dive into the Passyunk Avenue. Yeah, um, yeah, let's do that. So I'm going to go to Jamie uh, on the Dolphins game. Are the Dolphins' ambitions restricted solely to Tua's health. Which other contenders fall away if that quarterback goes down? Well, every team, of course, is affected when their starter goes down. I guess we've got to look at situation backup. I mean. To, the Dolphins actually arguably have one of the stronger well, backups in, yeah, in Mike not, White, right? So it, I'm it's not an sure that question. Mike White or Skylar Thompson um, 
choosing between them. I wouldn't be surprised if, if at one point they went to Skylar Thompson. But that's that's it. That's it's a different set. I mean, Mike White. They've made it. It's hard. It's hard to describe this because they've made it relatively easy for Tua. And everybody says Tua doesn't throw the deep ball. But if you watch him in Alabama, if you give him time, he throws the deep ball and he throws it pretty accurately. And what they've done this year, I think, is is made. Mm it even easier for him to throw the intermediate level passes, which, you know, again, go back to San Francisco when they were really effective. Tyreek Hill is doing what a Debo or an Ayuk does, you know, is, is running across the formation. It's what he did in Kansas city and he's getting the ball in stride. And if you get him in stride with, with just three feet of space between the two defenders who, you know, who are coming from different directions or whatever, he's unstoppable. And that's, to me, is the key thing. If Tua is hitting guys like that in stride, um, that's what makes makes them really effective. And mm. I heard Mike McDaniel talking about jujitsu and Tua had been taking that in order to, you know, learn how to fall better and stuff like that. But if it's helped his passing. You know, it's interesting. You always talk about the great quarterbacks are the ones that can – lead a receiver to the ball, right? Tua did that a couple of times, I, th- I thought, yesterday. That question of Jamie's backup-wise, well, you've got Mariota is the backup, of course, for Jalen Hurts in Philly. We've already talked about Darnold being the backup in San Francisco. Um, as far as the Chiefs are concerned, we'll blame Kappa as the backup for Mahomes. So I think the answer, Jamie, is if any of the starters go down for the contenders, they're all yeah, in, it, they're it, all in that's really, the out of it. The, that's a really the, interesting uh, point because, you know, if Darnold can learn to play within himself in that system... Darnold could be very effective. He's got a great arm. You know, he can make plays. His his problem has always been that he tries to make plays he can't make. Um, so you know, there there are levels. There are levels to this. You know, coaches coaches can coach guys up into their into those systems um, if they've got a certain amount of talent. Well, we'll stay on the quarterback tip for the mailbag. Matt's got in touch with us at the NC Show. Incidentally, it's how you get in touch. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads. I'm Mike. I know you're on threads. A uh, bit of TikTok as well. We're on YouTube. Videos from the show sit on YouTube. Uh, Matt is going back to the Tennessee game. And we talked about how uh, abject, I think, uh, Derek Henry, notwithstanding the uh, Tennessee Titans uh, offense, looked at times against New Orleans. Do you think Vrabel is brave enough to drop Tannehill after week one? The fans are very angry with what unfolded last night. The game was there for the taking. Yeah, he Tannehill's days. Um, I think Tannehill looked rusty more than anything else, um, and I don't. I don't think right now um, Levis Levis is ready. Um, he was hurt, um, so you know you're better off letting him letting him sit for a while you know, if that's what you want to do. Malik Willis doesn't look much more ready than he was last year, so you know I think the veteran presence is what is what Vrabel's thinking about um, to keep them in games. It's what I was just saying about Tennessee. They, they hang into in games, you know, and that's, that's what, that's how they win. You know, it's how they finish mm. nine and eight and get to the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, hope that they get a little bit of luck along the way. Uh, Washington, uh, we haven't talked much about them. Arizona, of course, uh, ran them close as well. Surprised, not dissimilar to how Carolina were against Atlanta for for much of that game. But the uh, Washington defense uh, fronted up, and Montez Sweat in particular, uh, stepping up when it mattered. Sam Howell had a mixed bag of a game too. But more importantly than that, of course, this is the post Dan Snyder <laughs> era. Yes, Mike, and that's historic what FedEx Field was rocking again. <laughs> Yes, yeah, question was, 
was exactly on that point. Just it felt, looked and sounded like a home game for the first time in years. Intimidating to, with a passionate fan base. Something we can easily forget given how things have been in recent years in Washington. It's populated in large part by people who've moved there from other parts of the country because it's a one a one industry town and, and the industry is government. Um, and it's the one thing that's historically united um, what is a very dis, uh, disparate city. There's, you know, almost still segregated the legacy of the 60s um, goes back the one thing I never understood is why Dan Snyder didn't take advantage of when the team was horrible and sell paper bags at a huge profit margin uh, for the fans to wear you know as they as they came into the stadium but the stadium's <laughs> falling apart I mean for all I, for all I've made fun over the years of historic FedEx field um, you know, it actually literally is falling apart. And that's why Snyder was trying to get a new stadium in Virginia, you know, rather than rebuild the one that, the one that they've got there. And, and the players rate it the worst or second worst stadium in the, in this, in the um, league for facilities. And it's the worst for field. Um, so, yeah, there's work to be done. I thought I thought I was a little bit surprised because that was my lock of the week was Washington giving seven. And I was a little surprised that Arizona could hang in that well. Their defense, um, now that's Gannon's specialty, but their defense played pretty well. Um, and the offense, Dobbs was, you know, Dobbs was okay. Um, again, that's a veteran playing over, you know. Uh, so, But, I mean, the, the NFL needs to consider the rugby red card. If they're going to allow malls, <laughs> rolling malls, you know, say, because that play where Kazir White, you know, hit Sam Howell, a flying head-to-head spear out of bounds, and then that that um, that snooker ball, snooker ball to, yeah. to get the yeah, referee. Yeah, that There's that great shot. The referee is literally on his ass, sitting there and pulling out the red flag and throwing it for for his revenge. I mean, that one that one was was one of those where you know you're obviously not going to have a penalty box in in football, but you can eject players in in the NFL, and that would be one where instead of a yellow flag, a red card came right out because you've not only got Sam Howell, you've um, you got, and then, and then you had Mar- Marquise Hollywood Brown taking out the chain gang, <laughs> which was great. And Arizona game. Now that wasn't you know intentional. He wasn't aiming himself at the guy holding the sticks, but but he took out the chain gang. And then you had um, DJ and DK. You know, DJ Moore um, hit Jair Jair Alexander in the back. Um, you know, protecting his quarterback because Jair had, tack- had tackled him in bounds, you know, but knocked him out of bounds. And then they, they came running in. And then when mm. all the hubbub had died down, he snuck up behind Jair Alexander and pushed him over from behind. And then DK Metcalf did the same thing to Akello Witherspoon because I think because Witherspoon had hit the quarterback a play earlier, um, you know, he did the same thing. He tiptoes behind him and then whacks him from behind. And I'm just thinking, you know, guys, hold, hold it down. It must drive just drive the coach is mad as well. Like Jair Alexander is just a notable yeah. wind-up merchant, and you, I mean, just yeah. just but don't I, fall for it. Who was it? Myers caught this touchdown pass um, from Jimmy G, and then and then got the taunting penalty for for basically it looked like he was lecturing the defensive back on how he should have been covered. Uh, Jacoby redemption, the J- Jacoby Myers redemption story. Of course, I, I felt that was. Hey, um, one more for the road. Uh, there's five bucks in the. Uh, in the charity box for shelter. Uh, and let's end on uh, some histrionics, uh, given the fact it is hot take Monday. James Gregory. Thanks for this one, James. Mike, you'll like it. Which team has 
the most to genuinely panic about <laughs> after week <sighs> one? Who should be pushing the panic yeah, button? Yeah, well, when you're talking panic button, you're talking about teams season. that had relatively high expectations and under underachieved. I think Seattle yeah. might be one. Uh, the Rams played a tremendous game against them. I mean, that was a that was a coaching. Yeah. A win for coaching more than anything else. Uh, not Matt my, my Stafford. It really was the the way that team was coached. I think New England. It. I wouldn't be. They're not going to panic because Belichick doesn't panic. He's going to do. You know. They had like the Giants. They had this horrible start to the game with two two turnovers. They hand you know pick six um, on a badly thrown ball by Mac Jones. That's that's where placement comes in. You know, um, a great receiver maybe makes that catch, but they don't have a great receiver. So um, you can't expect it to be caught. Then then Zeke Elliott fumbles, um, and uh, you know, they're down 16 nothing. They got back to 16-14 at the half. They were in a position maybe to be able to win that game. Their defense played brilliantly. I find it hard to understand why Philadelphia had Kenneth Gainwell as their main um, running back for most of the game. But, you know, but I think the Patriots yeah. have to – they're going to have problems. Um, the two rookies starting in the line, Jack Jones is now on IR with, with the, you know, from strain carrying the guns um, onto the airplane. I suppose he strained his shoulder. I love that. I mean, how do you know, not know you've got two guns in your carry-on bag? I mean, <laughs> didn't you pack it? Aren't you carrying it? Don't, don't they bang together <laughs> when you put it on the machine? You know, it's like, it's, it's just so, <laughs> and I know I'm laughing about that, but I also just want to point out that, in the first minute of red zone, they cut away. They cut away from a fumble kickoff return where all the guys are screaming, "It's going that way, it's that way!" And, and there was a flag thing. And we had two quarterbacks completing passes to themselves in the first series of each game. So <laughs> Desmond Ritter and C.J. Stroud both threw passes that were batted down and then caught them themselves. I said, boy, I'm glad football's back. <laughs> you love to see it, Carlson. Brilliant stuff. At Carlson Sports is how you follow the big man on Twitter, patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson, FMTE for his stylings and profilings here each and every Monday, rocking the review, the preview, anytime you want it. I'm Mike stepping up. Podcast Network.